Occult Confessions is brought to you commercial-free through the generous support of our patrons. Visit occultconfessions.com and click on Donate to help keep the history of the occult on the digital airwaves. All right, we're back for the second part of our discussion of the Secret Doctrine. Yes! Yeah. Yes! All right, uh, so this is going to be the episode in which we go t- first to Lemuria Ooh. and then Atlantis. Yes! Ah. <laughs> Finally uncovering the Aryan races. Dun, dun, dun. And then the New Age. Okay, so uh, we'll just get a little intro here to our Lemurians. Blavatsky calls the third race the Lemurians after the continent they occupied. Lemuria? (laughs) Yes, that's exactly right, James. Thank you. Lemuria. I was going for an authentic pronunciation. Oh, the way the Lemurians would have been. (laughs) Oh, it would have just been sounds. I'm sure it's... Have you ever seen on YouTube... People what? talking in Lemurian. How do they know? To. Exactly. It's Blavatsky hilarious. never, I don't think she commented on You should look it up. Okay. <laughs> uh, so they built houses out of lava and stone in a like, cyclopean style. By the way, cyclopses, real. A real thing, according to Blavatsky. And Neat. being able to touch lava. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I guess it could have cooled. <laughs> but yeah. then it's just rock. Yeah. Their continent stretched from the Himalayas all the way to Madagascar and included Australia. Over time, the continent separated to decrease the velocity of the Earth's rotation. You gotta, you gotta slow down this Earth. Going days are too fast. <laughs> this old Earth. This old Earth. Time's just going by too fast for little old James. You gotta row, row apart this continent. <laughs> Jeeves, get on it. Jeeves! They have a butler. (laughs) Anyway, daylight savings time is clearly getting to James. There were people living in a tribal lifestyle and people who Blavatsky contrasted with them as the civilized. The tribal people became the aborigines of Australia, the so-called civilized became the Atlanteans, and then following them, the Aryans. The civilized were divided into intellectuals and pastoralists. The pastoralists maintained their psychic and spiritual power, which had been innate and easily accessed by the early humans. The intellectuals diminished their psychic and spiritual power because they focused on the academic and the physical. Where they were, they were building cities and they were creating art and science. So all these focuses drew them away from the spiritual and sort of planted them in the physical world, like a Dr. Faustus. Gradually, this emphasis compelled the uh, intellectuals into iniquity and sin, except for an elect few who became the sons of will and yoga, or the sons of the fire mist the sort of originals of Blavatsky's secret occult order. My name is Rob C. Thompson, joining you again as the supreme hierophant of our secret order of alchemical actors in our discussion of Blavatsky's secret doctrine. I am joined yet again by our same crew from our last episode, Olivia Literal, as our Grand Master. I'm still sitting in this chair. Same chair, same stage. <laughs> James Caplanges, Captain of the Table. I demand a more comfy chair. You want to switch? Yeah. Okay. 
Savannah Verrett, our sister of the 84th degree. I won't be as needy. I am fine with this chair. Are we Goldilocks We now? appreciate that. <laughs> what are we doing? We're all practicing how our level of attachment to the material James is failing. Uh, yes. And <laughs> Shannon Landers, our Instaquisitor. I have no comment about my chair. <clears throat> mm, you may be the most attached of all. Oh, or the oh. most enlightened, maybe, if she has no thoughts about her chair. This is Occult Confessions. We, we the, the members, members of the, of the secret, secret Order of Alchemical Actors, do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. All right, so uh, we've gotten to know Lemuria. I hope you've enjoyed it because it's time for a cataclysm. Boom! I barely got to know Lemuria. Yeah, I know, like, right? I like you introduced it. <laughs> and now it has to go because we have so many other races to get to. There was fire underground. Oh no. Earthquakes and a great flood. When the earth changed its face for the third time, the elect sheltered on Shambhala, an island which is now located somewhere in the Gobi Desert, and others scattered, becoming cavemen or Men of the cave. Oh. Wow, so, I'm glad are they that you saying, reiterated are they saying there. <laughs> there was there was a some kind of awesome like tribal group of people in the middle of the Gobi Desert. There is an awesome awesome group of occult adepts in the middle of the Gobi Desert, right? Well, I mean, it's an at, at the time they were on this island, which has become the Gobi Desert since oh. then. Oh, okay. So the elect who survived the great flood were shepherded by a Manu. The story of this Manu has been passed down in various cultures under various names. The one we're most familiar with is Noah. And that brings us to today's brief history. That was quick. All right, today Brandon Walls is going to be giving us our brief history. Brandon, come on over to the table if you would, please. Hello. Hello, Brandon is our uh, silver tongue shadow, shadow of the silver tongue. Yes, and, yes. I'll be, and today I'll be telling you the brief history of the Great Flood. Delightful, let's hear about it. Most cultures tell of a story of a Great Flood. The Sumerians have the story of Sutherus, the Greeks have Decolian, so on and so forth. Yeah, those guys. Yeah. In the Noah account, the people of Earth have been bad. Ooh. So God decides to flood the earth and start over with Noah and his family, who God liked better than everybody else. Yeah, sort of like, you know, when you screw up your art project and you just throw it out and start over. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So Noah built an ark and filled it with animals and his sons and his son's wife, and the great flood came and destroyed everything over 40 days and 40 nights. Yeah, you want your sons and your son's wives so that you can have a, some little bit of diversity in your gene pool. Exactly. Yeah. Then Noah sent out a raven and a dove until the dove brought back an olive branch showing that there was an earth to return to. Yeah, the raven was not successful. I was going to say, where did the raven yeah, go? The raven just left and came back and he was like, I got nothing, man. So they all they all then left the ark and Noah made sacrifices to God and God promised himself never to do that again. His yeah, bad. Yeah, God Yeah, God promised himself. Him promised Noah. God was no. like, he thought to himself, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have done that. No take back, sees. No, yeah, too late. Too <laughs> a, late. A bit later, Noah got drunk on wine and fell asleep naked in his tent. Yeah. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he was an old guy. That's just true. But, you know, old guys can sleep naked. That's yeah. fine. But when his son told on him, he cursed his grandson. Yeah, and, yeah. And all of his generations. <laughs> and that's the story of Noah. But wait, there's more. Right. Blavatsky calls Noah and the other flood heroes Manu after the Hindu version of the story. Okay. There are, according to Buddhist tradition, Manus are great rulers for each kalpa or eon. Right. Each kalpa is 3.2... Is it four? Isn't it four? Yeah, 4.32 billion years long, yeah. after which the universe is destroyed and starts again. Right, and then How? each one has got its own guy. 
How old is our universe right now expected to be? Oh, uh, from the Hindu perspective? I wouldn't worry about it ending in your lifetime. Oh boy. You're good. Shadhareva Manu was the king of the Dravida kingdom during yeah. the Great Flood. Mm -hmm. One day, while washing his hands in a river, he met a carp who asked him to take him along with him. Yeah, fish, little fish, mm. little carp fish. So Manu put him in a jar. The fish grew until he was too big for the jar, so Manu put him in a riv in a well. Mm -hmm. Well, the fish grew until he was too big for the well, so Manu put him in a reservoir 16 miles wide. Yeah, I think that would be big enough for the fish. You'd think so, but then oh. the fish grew until he placed it in a river and then in the ocean. Oh, it just kept getting, it was too big for the river. And then it was too big for the ocean. Oh boy. But that's when he revealed himself to be no mere carp, but Vishnu. That shouldn't be a surprise at this point, a fish mm. growing to be too large for an yeah. ocean. It has to be Vishnu. Well, Vishnu, for those who aren't aware, is one of the three main gods of the Hindus who reincarnates many times over the eons of existence in order to preserve creation from destruction. Yeah, Vishnu is the preserver, Shiva is the destroyer, and then, of course, we have Brahma, the god of creation. Mm -hmm. In this case, he warned Manu of an impending flood, which was happening just because, you know, sometimes floods just happen. Not because of any divine anger, totally not. Yeah, this was not a... So the Christian world, yeah, we're, we're angry. Yeah. God is angry. In the Hindu world, it's just, you know... Whatever. Yeah, there's floods. It happens. <laughs> yeah. And Manu got in a boat with his family and some plants and animals and weathered the flood, guided by Vishnu in the form of a great horned fish roped to the boat. Yeah, like a unicorn fish. Uh, but the fish is about the size of the ocean, so wouldn't it just be like... Basically wearing a boat hat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess he could have just carried it. Yeah. Maybe the fish got smaller. You're right, Brandon. Yeah. And like, it wouldn't be going very far, right? Because no. it's like, you know, it seven kind seas. Of, it would just be flopping from like India to Australia. Yeah, from sea to sea. Yeah. yeah. It just could only go so far. The boat was perched on the top of a mountain. And after that, Manu and the seven sages repopulated the earth. Yeah, after the flood, the, the fish just sort of left them on top of a mountain. Yeah. yeah, so we're all basically just from eight people. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, same with Noah, right? Yeah, true. And that's a brief history of the Great Flood. Very nice, Brandon. Thank you. Thank you. Oh. Yay. Very nice, Jane. The seventh subrace at the end of the Lemurian period, so they're not gone just yet. Nope. But they're going to be were governed by divine dynasties, kings and rulers who looked like mortal humans, but were actually from the higher celestial spheres. Whoa. Reptilians. No, no, they were not that. They were, oh, you're they right. Were I'm humans. sorry. They the reptilians were with skin. the Atlanteans, and the Pleiadians were with the Lemurians. These right, divine <laughs> kings were the adepts, or kabiri, the serpents of wisdom, inventors <laughs> of letters, medicine, architecture, and agriculture. She did oh. call them the serpents of wisdom, Olivia, yes. But she didn't mean actual, literal uh, serpents. I'm just saying. <laughs> they were both godly and mortal. And having been rescued by the Manu, helped to usher in the next root race. Brazilians. No. <laughs> Good guess, though. <laughs> With the changing of the Earth's face... A great continent gradually rose up in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, and this became Brazil. <laughs> yes. No way! Are you kidding me? Yes. No, it became Atlantis. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> we really love Brazil here on Occult Confessions. Okay. I hope we have listeners in Brazil. I don't know if we do, because um, they speak Portuguese. <laughs> 
speak English. There, I'm sure so, there are some Brazilians who do. Yeah. People there. They got their own problems without listening you to us. You are right. Okay, so this continent was not Brazil, no. It was Atlantis. Uh, and its wow. inhabitants were the fourth root race, the Atlanteans. They were the peak of humanity's physical beauty and strength. During the flood, some early Atlanteans had fled to an area that is now mostly submerged but contained Easter Island, and the statues there give us a sense of the size of the fourth race. Oh, so like they their think... heads were that big? Yep. What? Really? That's what Blavatsky would have us believe, yes. Holy crap, that's huge. Savannah's all in on Blavatsky. She's oh. not questioning this at all. She's nope. like, wow, those were big people. <laughs> I mean, giants. <laughs> I'm just, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I just didn't know what those were for. They I had, just, well, I mean, that's her maybe. argument, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So while the Atlanteans had physical prowess, they were less spiritually endowed than their predecessors. The Lemurians were in close contact with the Dianes, or angels who had brought them into being, and they were semi-divine and human only in appearance. The Atlanteans were all human and worshipped matter and spirit in the spirit of nature, capital spirit of capital nature, as pantheists. So the Lemurians were all spirit all the time, really, and the Atlanteans are sort of a blend of spirit and matter. They say that, like, the Lemurians were, like, super, like, crystals were, like, everything to them. Like, crystals, 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 which is, like, I don't know, weird, I guess. But... Well, they lived in houses made of lava. So they, they used really crystals. loved rocks. Yeah. Well, I guess they used crystals to, like, do, like, reconnect with the earth, like we do now. <laughs> to spirit, yeah, that they viewed matter in its, through a spiritual lens, whereas yeah. the Atlanteans, I mean, we're, we in our race are also spirit and matter, but the Atlanteans are sort of the first to make that break so that they see the separateness of the two. So they worshipped everything and didn't really differentiate between spirit and matter. The Lemurians, uh, as Olivia is saying, had enjoyed the psychic and spiritual power of the third eye, which I guess they use their crystals. Well, because the Druids, apparently, they say, were with the Lemurians, and that's how it carried on, oh, supposedly. Well, through the Druids, well, and yeah. through these secret little groups. The, the like Old Lang Syne is supposed spirit, to be... Fiery Spirit Brothers. Have you heard that? Old Lang Syne, like the song we sing at New Year's, is supposed to be like the only thing we have left from the Lemurians. Like that's the song they sang as like the world was ending for them. That's you heard this? weird and wild It's weird. What song is it? Like Old Lang Syne. Old Lang Syne at New Year's. And, like you sang at New Year's like... I never heard of that. Should all acquaintance be oh. Apparently the Druids like were there and were like, oh, yes, we're going to take Old Lang Syne and spread the word. <laughs> Where did you get this? I've been reading. <laughs> like the back of cereal boxes or what are we talking about? Lucky Charms. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, the Lemurians, as he said, had the third eye, uh, also called the Deva eye. Uh, but with the dawn of the Atlanteans, the third eye, which had been a, an actual physiological part of the Lemurians. Remember the Cyclops? Yeah, Cyclops eye. Transformed into... What? Cy- I would say Cyclops eye. Yeah, Cyclops eye. Cyclops eye. <laughs> Okay, so the third eye, because they were cyclopses, had been part of them. But with the Atlanteans, it transformed into the far less powerful pineal gland. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. And the pineal gland actually f- surfaces in a lot of bizarre contexts of, of occultism. Uh, but that is for another day. What does the pineal gland do? It regulates things. Does gland things? <laughs> <laughs> 
He's, re- he's regulating. Okay. Making it all. Releases some hormones and stuff. Makes sense. He's keep, keep you regulated. Yeah, I'm not a professor of the video. He doesn't have an actual medical degree. Yeah, I am Dr. Rob, but that's, uh, yeah, not, I, I cannot treat your pineal gland. What would I take if I were to treat my pineal gland? Or well, what kind of problem would I have if, oh if I had a problem with my pineal gland? Where is it? I don't even know is that it in the brain? One heck of a problem, brother. I want to say it's in the head. <laughs> Oh, boy. Geographically, uh, those Lemurians had gravitated toward the North Pole, the Pole of the Spirit. The Atlanteans had moved toward the South Pole, or the Pole of the Elementals and Matter. Santa? Right. Is this this where the spirit is? That's not the way I see it. Christmas spirit. The Atlanteans took unto themselves wives who were entirely human and fair to look upon, but in whom lower, more material, though side-real beings, had incarnated. These were essentially elementals in human form. Lilith, from the Jewish tradition, was the prototype of these women. Lilith was the product of Jewish folklore by way of Babylon and an effort to reconcile a conflict in the original Genesis text. Fun facts. God creates Adam and then Eve from Adam's rib. But in Genesis 1.27, before we hear about either Adam or Eve, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So it looks like Adam showed up with a lady right along for the ride. The folklore around Lilith developed around the Middle Ages. The story goes that after they were created, Adam and Lilith argued over sexual positioning. Which missionary was, uh, did that win? Which missionary did that win? Are you okay, Chance? I think you had a stroke. I had a yoo-hoo. I... You had a yoo-hoo before we recorded, and you are in... Some other world. Right. Okay, but you're kind. I think you're right. Thank you. I love hearing that, Rob. <laughs> but I can't be sure because of words <laughs> you have used with mouth parts. Adam said he should be on top. Is this what you meant, James? Yeah. But Lilith said, since they were both created of the earth, they were equal, and so she should be on top. Yeah. Wait, Do you know why she's, like, my favorite? Like, yeah, well, but that doesn't make sense. If they were equal... They, they should she, alternate. They should alternate, or, at or least they should do, it. do on the side. <laughs> they should spoon. Yeah. Yeah. Only the spooning position. Uh, so they couldn't agree, and so Lilith flew away. Yeah. Like a Does banshee. She <laughs> no, she just was able to fly away. She That's just awesome. popped off Bye, into bitch. the sky. She was, like, she was like, throw hat, Mumi over there. The angels chased after her, but they couldn't persuade her to come back. I love, I love. The Kabbalistic Zohar made her the personification of divine judgment brought into being by human sin. In both traditions, she visits harm on infants and can be warded off by an amulet. Thanks, Lemurians. Blavatsky says that the real origin of Lilith is these animalistic and sexy female partners taken by the Atlantean men. These women could walk on the air and were kind to human mortals, but they were driven by animal instinct rather than intellect. And from the merging of them, we got more physical and physical humans. They sound like birds. <laughs> Sexy bird ladies. Oh, no. Harpies. Maybe. Oh, that's a nice way to incorporate some myth into it. 
But I don't think anyone wanted to sex the harpies. I'm gonna say no, but they don't. You can want all you want, but it's not gonna happen. Yeah, they're more nymphy, nymphs of the air, sylphs of the air. There you go. That sounds like a good like a cult name. Sylphs (laughs) Sylphs of the air. air. Yeah. We've gotten a couple, couple of titles we got to give out at some point. Okay, the story of the end of the Atlanteans is probably my favorite part of the entire Secret Doctrine. So saddle up. Okay. Okay. Let me tell you this story. So, the Earth is on the verge of another major cataclysm, a shifting of continents, and a great deluge that will sink the continent of Atlantis under the waves. Okay, okay. So, the story starts with one of the adept kings, or sons of wisdom, who we've been calling the Serpents of Wisdom, Olivia. He, this king, knows that the flood is coming. And it just so happens that this particular king has got a fleet of airships called Viwan, presumably in anticipation of the Great Flood. Although, I'm sure they were great for a Sunday ride through the sky as well. You have a fleet of airships. They can do so many things. (laughs) But avoid a flood. The most practical of them. So, our king, Serpent of Wisdom, sends his airships to collect his brothers and their righteous followers, the other kings, the other king adepts. Um, these are the followers of the king adepts are called the yellow faces of the straight eye. Uh, Queer eye for the straight guy? Yellow faces. <laughs> That's what I was just thinking. Of the straight eye. Okay. Uh, and that means that they're sincere. That's it. It's the words themselves joined together. Uh, Blavatsky says it means these were the sincere believers of the serpents of wisdom. So they collect the brothers and the serpents. He implored his brothers, then, to use their magic, their white magic, to counteract the dark magic of the lords of the dark faces. Who didn't have... What who are those guys? Where did they come from? Yeah, where did the lords come from? Another cryptic group. (laughs) So uh, they didn't have actual dark faces, but they were sorcerers practicing black magic. Mm. So, I mean, we could... If we wanted to put the pieces together... Um, we've got Atlanteans banging sexy animal bird ladies of the air, and they're creating these increasingly materialistic beings, which uh, then will begin to manifest black magic practitioners who are interested in the material world and manipulating it, whereas these adepts remain aloof from that whole process and continue to practice the white magic of the elevation of the species. Do you see? So okay. these are counter forces that are forming over the Atlantean era. And this is where it comes to a head. Okay, so the great adept king knew that these dark sorcerers had to be wiped out by the flood in order for life to advance in the next round and root race on Earth. He also knew that they were conspiring to escape their fate. So his fellow brother, divine kings, used that white magic to mesmerize the lords of the dark faces, preventing them from intervening while they stole their airships. Yeah, so the dark-faced lords have airships that they would have escaped in if they had not been mesmerized. So, when the sorcerers woke up, their airships were gone and the flood was upon them and they drowned. I bet they were so mad. Yeah, right? (laughs) Like uh, that part in Lord of the Rings where the trees are knocking down that wizard's stuff and there's water everywhere. He's like, my stuff! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm talking about? No. I don't know. I in don't... the second movie? <laughs> no. There's, there's tree guys or knocking down? Yeah, I down. remember the tree guys. Right. Definitely. <laughs> anyway. But there were some among the dark sorcerers who had a magic that overpowered the white magic of the Sons of Wisdom. Not only did they not sleep, 
but they were so gigantic, this is like Lovecraftian, that their heads and chests were above the waterline of the flood, and they chased after the Sons of Wisdom and their human charges for three lunar terms. This sounds horrifying. Until finally, reached by the rising waves, they perished to the last man, the soil sinking under their feet and the earth engulfing those who had desecrated her. Such is the working of karma. Do you think these people became whales? (laughs) (laughs) They died! (laughs) Not a question I had before this moment, James, but now one that will haunt my waking nightmares. Whales used to be land creatures. They kind of looked like dogs. Oh, they didn't used to be humans? No, they looked kind of like dog canine creatures. And then they well, these were giant dark sorcerers. That's not what this is. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Those are just dog You don't know whales. what kind of spells they got. Could have turned themselves into a whale. Cool. Then uh, they wouldn't have This drowned. isn't important. Let's keep going. <laughs> the fifth race. The fifth Whales. race. Whales. <laughs> <laughs> so... Blavatsky is not very happy with the fifth race because that's us. We have, says Blavatsky, not kept pace with our spiritual destiny. But this, she says, will eventually work itself out. So don't worry. Through podcasts like this one, we're going to work out our spiritual destiny. Or the next catalysm. Yeah, I was about to say, through climate change killing all of us. (laughs) The Bible curses the serpent after the fall of Adam and Eve, so that the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. Remember, the serpent is a symbol for wisdom and knowledge. So, an overemphasis on sex as an act of animal gratification has, since the fourth race, degraded us spiritually. So we're we're where we're at where we're at right now because of like porn. Sure. Oh. I'm open to that. It's not helping. Okay. Cool. Blavatsky calls the fifth root race the Aryans. The term Aryans generally refers to the tribal people who conquered the Indian subcontinent in Persia around the year 2000 BCE, really and historically. Blavatsky doesn't mean this group because, she argues, Aryans consist of a variety of races. And this brings us to the question of Blavatsky's racism. What? Is Blavatsky (laughs) a racist? Oh. I mean, she's talking about all these different races all the time. She does talk about, but they're root races, which means everybody is that race. But she's got a sort of ugly things to say about Australian aboriginals who do not evolve in the way of the rest of the Lemurians. She also clearly, with her Aryan root race, inspires... She, Hitler. Hitler, She literally yes. hands him oh, yeah. the reason. Hitler yeah. goes, he calls the Germans, yeah. or his special race of Germans, the Aryan race. They weren't Aryans. Well, right? well, I mean, not in the Indian sense, but Blavatsky's really not speaking in the Indian sense. So that does raise the question, is she racist? So, uh, again, she's not a fan of the Australian aboriginals. She believes they are derived from the less enlightened members of the fourth root race. And the story of the Lilith women suggests a program against miscegenation, right? There are pure Atlanteans breeding with these non-pure women, the Lilith women, so again, right? That seems like you shouldn't yeah. mix the races. But I feel like caring about race kind of holds us back, like spiritually. Don't you think? Like that 
is part materialistic. To think about race at all. So Blavatsky wouldn't be thinking in those terms. I think you might be right. It's true that Blavatsky was a source of inspiration for the Nazis. She brought them the swastika, which was originally uh, an Indian religious symbol, and the concept of the root races, which they adopted. And her whole deal about racial impurity. Her theory that racial impurity among the Atlanteans led to the diminishment of their spiritual and psychic power. Very useful to the Nazis, right? Yeah. But, Savannah, in truth... Blavatsky was not especially racist. And here's why. Evidence from the secret doctrine directly. She rejected the theory that skull size or even brain size correlated to intelligence and believed that all of the Earth's various races were reincarnating their way toward enlightenment, as we've mentioned several times. The Aryans of the fifth root race were of many different races. We talked about this in the last installment of our secret doctrine discussion. And the sixth root race, the next evolution of the species, is going to take place in America because of our habit of mixing the races. This mixing has made America a race sui generis, meaning a new race of itself, and the primary race that is destined to become the sixth subrace of the fifth root race, which will lay the groundwork for the entire sixth root race. So we're going to be the place where African-Americans and uh, Latino-Latina and Asian-Americans and Euro-Americans are all mixing together where the next root race will be born. Hmm. So she sees this as generally a good thing. It's part of our evolution. So she's saying that eventually everybody will just be the same race from everybody mixing with one another? It will be an evolved race, race. yeah. It will be different from what we've been before. I mean, not everyone, because there's always outliers. The Australian Aboriginals were outliers in the fourth race, right? They didn't join the program. Um, And then the kings, the serpents of wisdom, those guys are also outliers who don't join the program of the way it's happening in the general race. But yeah, many people will. Blavatsky was no conformist, as you've all probably guessed at this point. She believed that it was society's oddballs, of which she was arguably one of the oddest, who were the early iterations of its next evolutions. So the weirder you are, says Blavatsky, the, the you're, not, you're not in step with your race. That means you're ahead. You're, you're actually ahead of your time. Yeah. That's what my grandmother always said to me. You're presaging the next... <laughs> we, it, it, Us oddballs gathered around the table here talking the history of the secret doctrine are actually presaging the next root race. We're more like them than all the normies back home watching the Big Bang Theory. Ah, you heard it here <laughs> first, folks. Right, and our, all of our listeners who are engaged in the same conversation with us are more evolved than... Big Bang Theory watchers. Says Blavatsky. Yeah. And And Yes, I agree with her. Uh, So, uh, the kind of genetic homogenization premised on the idyllic view of some imagined past and promoted by the fascists who would have been completely anathema to Blavatsky's way of thinking, where the weird ones are the good ones, right? Hitler wanted this perfect, clean race. The weirdos among us with physical, mental, and spiritual characteristics that the masses do not privilege will usher in the new era. So the fact that everybody says, you guys are strange, is what makes somebody evolved. Post-postmodern. Yeah. Okay. I'll think about that (laughs) later. saying some words. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we can get on board, right? Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So this is very much out of step with... uh, any kind of make-anything-great-again ideology. Any kind of conservative kind of ideology. 
to some extent yeah it, it's it's marching to the beat of your own drummer that marks the development of the species is that why it kind of makes sense for as like older people tend to be like no this is the way things are and the younger generation always like nope this needs to change unless you're blavatsky and you roll with the new thought and you drive the new thought until your death Yes. You don't have to become Bovatsky part of the establishment. Bovatsky is very different from a lot of older people. She I was conscious say. until the end. <laughs> right. right. That's scary. Whatever that means. <laughs> okay. She was aware. Or, or, you know, you could be a family man like yours truly and start a podcast at the same time for no reason and uh, discuss the history of occultism with uh, people all over the world. You pat yourself on the back there, Rob. I'm going to. Yeah, I'll, I'll I've do done that it too. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Okay, we're all proud of you. It's delightfully condescending. <laughs> perfect button on that. All we know is that the sixth root race will silently come into existence. So silently, indeed, that for long millenniums shall its pioneers, the peculiar children who will grow into peculiar men and women, be regarded as anomalous lucis naturae, abnormal oddities physically and mentally. Then, as they increase and their numbers become with every age greater, one day they will awake to find themselves in a majority. But the last remnants of the fifth continent will not disappear until some time after the birth of the new race, when another and new dwelling, the sixth continent, will have appeared above the new waters on the face of the globe so as to receive the new stranger. All right, so we've discussed all of Blavatsky's root races now, up to the sixth root race. That's as far as she goes. The seventh root race is sort of the end. So she has, she, she can't say much about that. We, when we reach that, then we're sort of on our way out. The evolutions of humanity have reached their conclusion. So uh, now we've got to get to the part where I try to figure out if any of this makes sense. I think Shannon asked for this at the, at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is, is she lying? Is she, is she? Is any of this logical? All right. Can I do this? All right. So let's start with the weirdest stuff she talks about. Giants, people being born from eggs, Atlantis sunk into the sea, airships, the Cyclops. How are we supposed to believe any of it, given the state of science and understanding today, which does not allow for there having been airships ages ago, or cyclopses, or any of this? First of all, Blavatsky is not as unscientific as she seems, although she does dispute scientists over time. Her concept of continental drift bears out in broad outline, at least. So it's not the case that the Earth needs to slow down, but it's true that continental drift is a thing, and she talks a lot about continental drift. Also, she accepts Darwin's theory of evolution. Mr. Darwin's evolution is perfectly scientific, and we have nothing against that. For all this relates to the shell of man, his body, which in its growth is subject, of course, like every other once called morphological unit to such metamorphoses. I mean, the whole root races is basically evolution, right? Essentially, Darwin for her makes sense on the physical plane, but not on the spiritual plane. Darwin's missing that side of the she equation. She also had that one example using hydrogen and oxygen and water. Right. Science. That's very science. Science. Learn that in science. Uh, so Blavatsky, <laughs> as I'm saying, says that Darwin only gets, only gets half the picture. He's describing what happened on the physical side, the secondary or back end of the story. So it's not even the most important piece. And the missing role of spiritual evolution is the front end driving things. All matter is tending toward a reunification with the absolute, the spirit source of all that is all. 
We humans are ape-like in the last root race. The apes in our root race will be human in the next root race. That yeah? makes sense. This is the working of karma and the evolution of the spiritual monad and overrides the dictates of natural selection, which is limited to adaptations to the environment. So Darwin would say that an ape can only evolve if his environment or her environment uh, you know, allows for that evolution. But Blavatsky saying the ape will inevitably become human because the mm -hmm. spirit will drive the ape to that stage. So whether or not the environment necessitates it, the ape becomes more intelligent and human-like. This is not Darwinian. It has much more to do with Alfred Russell Wallace, and we recommend our episode on Wallace called Evolution's Ghost in series number three. So I won't go into that in depth here. But Wallace was a contemporary of... Uh, of yeah, Darwin's. Of yeah, they Darwin's both, they were the, he was the co-discoverer of evolution, and he believed that spirit in part uh, played a role in the driving of evolutionary forces while both discovering and uh, discussing at length how evolution functioned. Okay, so Blavatsky's not as unreasonable as she seems then in her discussion of things evolutionary. Now let's talk about giants, <laughs> uh, which I had a sort of off-the-cuff theory about in the last episode, but let me get to my more well-considered theory. Blavatsky resists being read as an allegory, but it takes so much allegory and metaphor to understand her that ultimately her meaning is more allegorical than literal. So she doesn't, she means to be read literally, but we can't understand her literally. She uses a lot of metaphor herself, and we've had to use a lot of metaphors to make sense of her, right, so mm -hmm. far? Okay, so let's uh, think uh, of the Lemurians as giant spirits, closer in being and in action to the spiritual. This is how she describes them. Okay, now think of our pagan ancestors for whom God was indwelling in the whole natural world around them. This is, I mean, a basic fact of the history of religion. There were spirits in the mountains, in the rivers, and the fields for the pagans of the Greco-Roman world, of, you know, Native Americans. And this, going across cultures in the, Americans, in the Americas among the Celts, the Greeks, the Romans, the Africans, the Chinese, the Japanese, this is kind of like the Lemurians, spiritual giants. We all used to be spiritual giants as tribal people. The Atlanteans are physical giants, which is a hard swing away from the spiritual into the material. The move to the one God, and then the Protestant God, forcing the spiritual further and further away. God stops indwelling in the world. God stops being physically present with us in the mountains and the streams, and God goes off to his heaven. Hmm. So that's the hard swing of the Atlanteans, separating spirit and matter, which is how Blavatsky talks about it. This refocuses our efforts, if not on sex, as Blavatsky suggests, then at least on material gain. Have you ever heard of the Protestant work ethic? Right? Is this a joke? Not at all. Okay, cool. <laughs> Protestants believe in a hard work ethic. Mm. In the, right? This is on the material plane. Okay. Protestants are also the ones who separated God the furthest from us. Catholics still had God and angels and demons hanging out on the earth plane. But Protestants pushed God as far away as God can go. God is in his heaven and... They have the work ethic named after them. Do you see? This is the emphasis on the material. Okay, now, sorry, Protestants. And now, not sorry, now <laughs> we are smaller versions of each, attempting to balance the spiritual and the material. 
I'm playing a bit with Blavatsky's timeline here. All of the events I'm discussing take place in our fifth root race, but they are a microcosm of what Blavatsky describes over millions of years, right? So all these, the pagans to us, is all within the fifth root race, since our continents have formed the way they have. But it's really metaphorically the same situation that she's discussing. We could also read literally that there were gigantic mammals millions of years ago. Savannah. Dinosaurs! Dinosaurs and no humans. <laughs> These gigantic mammals over time evolved into us. The primate Gigantopithecus existed as long as 9 million years ago, was 10 feet tall, and weighed over 1,000 pounds. So that's our oh. sort of mammalian ancestor. Uh, I don't know about dinosaurs, but you can say it again if you want. Dinosaurs? <laughs> He's not saying not dinosaurs. Yeah, I mean, we still could have been reincarnated as dinosaurs. But dinosaurs aren't or really from dinosaurs. mammalian, though, right? They're not mammals. Right. Maybe one of the earlier root races was, in fact, Gigantopithecus, or some other egg-laying species that has since evolved into us. Dinosaurs? You want me to say it again? <laughs> well, really. Uh, they do lay eggs. Yes, they do. It does they kind of did. match up. Yeah. Okay. We well, used but to when Jurassic dinosaurs. Park brings them back. Oh, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, it could be the reverse, uh, that Blavatsky has tapped into some great drama happening at the microscopic level, right? Rather than the giants, the tiny things. The sweatborns certainly sound more like they're produced through an asexual splitting of a cell wall. Yeah. So she's, there's a lot of interesting scientific parallels in her work. As for Atlantis with its airships, we need think no further than its masters, the serpents of wisdom. We don't need to believe in airships to believe that ancient cultures possessed a wisdom that we often lack, and must work our way back around to. Healing practices that treated the whole person, the calendar of the Mayans, the chronologies of the Brahmins, the sustainable agriculture of America's native people, the complex mythologies of pagans the world over that plumb the depths of the human psyche in ways we have only just begun to explore. And Blavatsky makes these a central theme of her secret doctrine. All of these things surface in her discussion. I like to remind my students, and you guys, that when humans lived in tribes, we worked an average of five hours a day. Americans today work more than 50 hours a week. How is that progress? Hmm. Progress uh. means holding on to the wisdom of the past. Atlantis is a complex allegory for the wisdom that is lost unless it is rediscovered among those secret serpents of wisdom hiding beneath their pyramids in the four corners of the round world. I'm not a flat earther. You don't need to point at me. <laughs> <laughs> She's not just adding saying, that to I her I just title. didn't want to be accused of flat eartherness. <laughs> you said four speaking corners of the corners. Of the world. Right, I want so I'm just, just being clear for we your benefit, <laughs> sister of the 84th. Okay, again, Blavatsky claims to be talking in literal terms about airships, Atlantis, eggborne, sweatborne races, and giants, but the secret doctrine itself negotiates between the materialist scientists of the late 19th century and the spiritually or intuitively minded occultists in both the Western and Eastern traditions. Blavatsky's logic, her way of defending her theories, is not wholly literal or materialist. Even her method of writing was largely intuitive, if we believe her while maintaining a kind of scholarly discipline. Blavatsky is literally, in the writing of this book, balancing the material and the spiritual. And so I believe it is more consistent to read about Atlantis and giants as not purely material historical facts, but at least partially allegorical truths somewhere between the material and non-material worlds. You buy it? Mm -hmm. Just like the Bible. Yes. Sure. But what? more Blavatsky. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying it like lies between allegory and physical world. I don't know. So to conclude, 
this long journey. Blavatsky is not so crazy. And in fact, she's providing creative and instructive cross-cultural readings of myths, beliefs, and occult formula that blend Eastern and Western concepts in a way that the world has never seen before and really hasn't seen since. The Secret Doctrine is a wildly creative, intellectually complex, and culturally broad exploration of what it means for a human being to be made of both matter and spirit. And that's the end of our Blavatsky discussion, friends. Yeah. Woo! That was... I really enjoyed that last bit there. Yeah? yeah. Really nice. What a closer. Thanks, team. I've already <laughs> patted myself on the back enough yeah, today. Did. But I'll take a little extra. <laughs> James, you want to pop this bubble? Pop the bubble of this end of the episode. Is that what you're saying? Are you okay? <laughs> You've lost it again. You've lost the thread. No. You've left us. Let's gong it into the order of confessors. Gong! I got it. There's an actual gong sound effect. Thank you, James. <laughs> I feel like a fool. You guys really have to spend more time listening to this. Okay. I didn't know you were going to do that. Let's uh, turn to our reviews. We got a lovely review from Imhotep. Oh. What? what? Nice Arigatou gozaimasu, Imhotep. No, I think that's Egyptian, man. It's not. Yeah. It's Egyptian. It's not Japanese. He had many numbers, or she, after his or her name. I'm not going to list them. Uh, Imhotep called us a total hoot, because I bet there's like a bunch of Imhoteps, and Imhotep was just like, uh, there's however many numbers iTunes wants to slap on the end of that. I'll just take them. We all want to be Egyptian priests. (laughs) Uh, So Imhotep says we're highly recommended AASB. Does anybody know what that means? As a S. AASB. And then it was like uh, the rock out hand. Oh, okay. Well, AASB. Sweet. What does that mean? What does that mean? Oh, I don't know. You don't know. Nobody needs. You guys are supposed to be young and hip. I'm professor, man. I don't have to know this stuff. Always soggy biscuit. No, that couldn't be it. They don't. Imhotep would Rock never call outside. us a soggy biscuit. No. Rock on. Australian accounting standards. Board. <laughs> <laughs> Highly on. recommended Australian accounting standards board. No. I... Abnormally. Oh my God! Yeah, it says sexy. Australian accounting standards board. Well, we're just gonna have to accept that, and we appreciate the uh, endorsement of the Australian accounting standards board. Normally. <laughs> Or the Arizona Aircraft Storage Branch. <laughs> AASB, right? Yeah. Our point here, Imhotep, is we are very grateful yeah, for your kind you. words. A- now, awkward. <laughs> now we're done. Uh, what's been going on over on the Instagrams, as long as you're here? Oh, well, we got a cute little comment. Yeah. Let me see. Uh, on our last episode? Yeah. We always, we're always getting comments, aren't we? Yeah. Oh, there's one you liked in particular, though. Yes, yes. Let me see. The username caught the eye of the Instaquisitor. It did. Yeah, yeah. Must be a special one. <laughs> <laughs> you are in some kind of mood. Yeah, I had a busy. Day. Just been here too long, that? I think. Agora Magic. Ma- magic. Yeah. Um, Agora Magic. Magica. Magica. Mm-hmm. Agora Magica. Anyway, they commented three moons. Three. No, they didn't say three moons. They posted three moon emojis. What type of moon? Yeah. So we got a. a um, what, well, I don't know what Did they do a triple called. goddess symbol? Like Is it like crescent? our logo? We have a we have a waning crescent. We we have a full a moon. full moon and then a uh, waxing crescent. That's like our logo. Very cool. Oh yeah, oh, kind of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if I was, I was just like, oh, just moon. I, I thought 
for a second I was like, are they trying to do like the triple goddess? All right, Olivia, we have officially reached the conclusion of our secret doctrine. Can you speak the words that close us out of this? Yeah. Uh, I... <laughs> Sorry. I hereby adjourn and declare close this meeting of the secret order of alchemical actors till such a time as we get together and do it again. It's getting better and better every time. I feel like I'm getting lazier with it. That, I, you that, did that a whole dance just there. That makes for better art. Yeah. Laziness? Lazy. Yeah. You gotta let it, you gotta be inspired. You need to use your intuitive consciousness. Slip into the dark pool. Yeah. My name is uh, Rob C. Thompson. I am the supreme hierophant of our secret order of alchemical actors. I was joined in discussion today by our grand master, Olivia Literal. Oh, hey, I'm by leaving. James Kaplangis, captain of the table. Thank you so much. Sister for... of the... Yeah, okay. Oh, you had more to say? Nope. Well, you stopped there. <laughs> well, thank you. So much. So much for a listening. For a listening. For a listening. Savannah Verrett, our sister of the 84th degree. Goodbye. Shannon Landers, our Instaquisitor. Bye, friends. And we had just had the one voice on this episode that was Ray Candela, rounding out her Blavatsky readings. Nice job, Ray. All right. Thank you so much for uh, patiently working your way through the secret doctrine with us. Uh, you have you not only earned all of that Atlantean fun today, but you have earned, in my estimation, a whole episode on how Satan is not controlling the United Nations, but how some people think he might be. I mean... <laughs> uh, and this does connect back to Blavatsky. The theory is that the Theosophical Society that Blavatsky founded through the person of Alice Bailey, who we're going to discuss in depth in our next episode, is controlling the United Nations and making it a satanic institution to control the world. Slowly, it's happening. Sure. Uh, so that, that's going to be, we're going to have some fun our next episode and, and sort of dive deep into that conspiracy theory. And remember, the more weird you are, the more evolved you are. So and remember, always leave a tip. Go out there, get weird, and leave a tip. Leave weird tips. But good tips. <laughs> we'll speak to you next time. You guys Hot good take. on your tip tips? Have you given enough tips on tips? Tips uh, on tips on tips? Yeah. We'll speak to you next time here on Occult Confessions. Bye.